thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. Well, blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, and His Spirit that sits, resides, lives, dwells, tabernacles with us. He is our God and our King. He is glorious. He is mighty. He is the one that we ought to preach about, live for, and allow to always be shaping and forming us because we are not good. We have nothing good to offer, but what he has given us and what he continues to do in us is something that we can never repay. And I know some of y'all may think back and think about where he's brought you from, but if you just take that retrospective glance and think about where he has you now, will you give God praise right now by putting your hands together for our King? And our Lord. Amen. Amen. Bless his name. Bless his name. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us rejoice in him together. Thank you for clapping because I know when I go back and tell everybody and they ask me, how did you do? How did it go? I was like, written in the first minute and a half, they were clapping. I just want to thank you for your hospitality and how you have loved on my uh, family and me uh, throughout just our little short time here. Is think about it, last year uh, I only had two children. This year I have three children. I'm never coming back to Cedar Springs again. <laughs> I have my wife and my sons are with us and uh, with me, and uh, they're my amen corner. So if y'all don't say amen, uh, my sons and my wife will definitely be like, keep going, daddy. And so, uh, well, my oldest is Michael Jr., MJ for short. Uh, middle child is Elijah. And our third one is Titus and my beautiful wife, Serena. Uh, we get to go and be in fellowship with uh, the Steimers, Jacob and Caroline, who are at our church in downtown Memphis. Uh, but the other thing that we have in common is that we're Tigers, Missouri Tigers. Uh, that's where the land of milk and honey is made in Columbia, Missouri, M-I-Z. Oh, yes, amen. There's some saints in the house. There's some saints in the house, and so uh, I'm always, and, and Mark is wonderful because the first time I think I met Mark, if I can recall, was at the SOS uh, youth. He brought some youth down, um, and so that was a, a good time because uh, we just continue to have a connection, and he's been a kind brother over this time, and had, time, had fun in the college class, introducing myself to everybody, and I know you college students never listen to anybody, so I know y'all weren't paying attention to anything I was saying, and that's fine. I love you guys anyway. Uh, 
But uh, as we get into the word of the Lord, uh, just you've already been set up with context. And so uh, I won't necessarily set you up with context in this. Uh, I just want to read God's word and and get into it. And I'll give you a preliminary context in terms of our pericope. Uh, Whenever you read a letter, a letter, whenever you read a letter, um, you don't just read it in bits and pieces, right? Um, No one leads a love letter in bits and pieces, no matter how long. Um, It is, and so as preachers, we exegete and we break down things because they're so substantial. And in our pericope, there's a lot in there, Um, and uh, I don't have a whole lot of time. See, my 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 clock hasn't started yet, just in case, you know, until uh, after I pray. But I say that because I want you to keep in mind what you've heard over the last couple weeks about the people in Colossae, who Paul is writing to, because his authorial intent, intent is to write to a people that are in a place. But there are practical implications that do flesh out because it's God's word to where we are today. Amen? Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians 2, uh, verse 6 through 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, see, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not, and not according to Christ. For in him, in him, the whole fullness of, de- of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven, forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come to you knowing that you are our truth, you are our God, and you rule and reign over all, and your presence is amongst us. Help us to recognize it. Help us to seek you now. By not listening to me, but hide me, Lord Jesus, beneath your cross. Allow yourself to work through me as a vessel to speak directly to your people and to those that are seeking you and want to know more about what it looks like to walk with you. And then those who have been hurt by the church that are hurting, help them to hear a word from you. For allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer. All God's people say together. Amen. Amen. 
So when uh, we moved to Memphis, I'm originally from St. Louis. My wife is from Kansas City. Uh, we lived in St. Louis just for a little bit. I was going to seminary. Uh, we moved to Memphis to be pastoral residents at Second Presbyterian Church. And there was a dear brother, uh, mentor, uh, father in the ministry, so to speak, Tim Russell. The late Tim Russell, many of you know, he passed away just a couple years ago. Uh, you wouldn't believe it, but he introduced me to my first barber in Memphis. And you would say, oh, you must have had hair back then. No. I was just a 20-some-odd-year-old guy with no hair. Uh, and so, uh, but he encouraged me on my anniversary to take my wife out to dinner. Uh, and I was like, okay, where should I take her out to dinner? You know, in Memphis, uh, they think barbecue, or I, I think I would consider us Memphians now, because all of our children are born there, so I'll say we, I'll be inclusive. We think barbecue is uh, pork. Anything pork, pulled pork. And so I was like, well, I'm going to take my wife to get some barbecue. He said, no, you got to do something nicer than that. You got to take it to a nice restaurant. I want you to take it to Sweetgrass. And so I said, okay, what's Sweetgrass? Is it cheap? Is it affordable? Is it, is, it, is, it, is it something that I can afford? He said, you will be able to take care of it. Just take it to Sweetgrass and... Uh, and, uh, and let me know how it went. And so me and my wife, we set the reservations. We go to the restaurant. We sit down, and I'm just feeling as if, like, you know what? This menu is not going to be for me, and it wasn't for me. So I already knew that I might have to wash some dishes that night. Uh, or, uh, in fact, I told my wife, you know, you just order whatever you want on the menu. I'm a fast tonight. We're praying for our marriage. And so we, we, we ordered our food, and I was anticipating the bill, and we had a good time and good conversation, and uh, our waitress was so kind, and I, and, I, and I asked her for the bill, and she said, oh, you don't have to worry about it. I mean, what, what you mean I don't have to worry about it? It's, it's food that I got to pay for. I can't walk out of here without paying for my meal. And she said, no, it's already been paid for. And see, Brother Russell knew that... I didn't have what I needed, and so he took care of my debt. Beloved, I, I use that story because that's what, exactly what Jesus did for us. I, I, we can't get enough of the gospel as to what Jesus did in canceling our debt. If you know what it means, not just to have a mortgage, but to have something hanging over your head that you got to pay every single time that you feel is taking from you. It's a debt that oftentimes feels as if it's weighty and it's, it will never go away, but Jesus did something to knock off the debt. And we don't have to walk around thinking that one day there's going to be a receipt, a laundry list of things that said, this is what you owe. No, beloved, what Jesus did in his wonder-working power was to cancel that debt by dying on the cross, by giving his life, wrapping himself in human flesh, being buried for three days and raised on that third day, proclaiming all victory, all authority, all rule and reign over absolutely everything in the power of his hands. And you know where he sits down? He, he sits down at the right hand of the Father. He, he lays back and relaxes and understands that the victory is already won. The outcome has already been determined. I've canceled the debt and the weight that you feel because I've taken it onto myself. Paul says it the best. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. And beloved, 
That's what I believe Paul helps us to understand in this pericope as he is actually going after his opposition and trying to shepherd the church. Because what he is doing is he's communicating, and I want you to understand this is the thing in which the big idea, he is actually communicating that it is by and through the death burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ as Christians were empowered to live debt-free lives. We're empowered to live debt-free lives. Now, some of y'all may got way more money than I got, but, but some of y'all got some student loans too. And so you know what it means to have a debt hanging over your head. But sometimes you don't realize the weight of what it means to have the debt of sin waiting on you on judgment day. And Paul says it does not exist because what's been imputed to you is righteousness. What God the father sees is his beloved son. And so, beloved, when we understand that we, yes, struggle with trying to relinquish those things. We, yes, struggle with trying to accept God's grace, and we struggle accepting his lordship. That is true. But I want to encourage you through his death, burial, and resurrection that you can live debt-free. You're empowered to live debt-free. And I'm going to do this in three ways in our text. First of all, we're empowered as Christians, to be grounded in our proclamation. Then we're empowered as believers to actually um, live under his authority. And then we're empowered as believers to live in victory. See, in this pericope, Paul is trying to remind his readers of something, that, that you know who God is because I've taught it to you. You've heard it taught to you. So then the opposition is trying to teach you something completely different. You got to realize that Paul's opposition actually looks like legitimate missionaries. Oftentimes, when we think about false teachers, um, and, and, you know, we kind of assume that first century Christian false teachers may have looked like some prosperity gospel preacher or somebody preaching some kind of heresy. No. They were too on a mission, proclaiming the Torah, proclaiming thing, law, rules of the, the, the Mosaic law that they felt as if needed to continue to be upheld and not recognizing that Christ had came to be the fulfillment of the law, having all authority in his hands. That's distinct because then when Paul is, sometimes when Paul is teaching something, they make it sound the same with nuances. How often do we run into that today? That, that is the case at times. And so this is what they're wrestling with because the gospel, the opposition is trying to supplant the gospel uh, amongst those that are Jews who have held on to this and those that have been newly converted Jews or newly converted Greek um, individuals. They did not necessarily know Jesus as Messiah. So they struggled to understand how they did not have to adopt all of these different other teachings. So now when you look at verse 6, Paul says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, received as a passive verb, so walk in him, which is a command. Understanding that then, he's saying, you've received them. You receive Christ Jesus. You receive the anointed one, the Messiah Jesus. So you do not have to feed into any lie. 
You're empowered to proclaim and be rooted and grounded in what you proclaim. This comes to mind as I was thinking about this. You ask the question is, what are you most devoted to? Think about that. Capture it in your mind. Because it's the very thing oftentimes that you proclaim the most. What you are most devoted to is what you will proclaim. I know a lot of SEC fans that are here in the house, and I guarantee on uh, Sunday or Saturday uh, mornings or when, Friday nights, whenever your team is playing, I guarantee everybody knows who you're rooting for. I'm certain you're not wearing Alabama T-shirts. <laughs> you know, and, and, and y'all still need to be saved because you don't have any black and gold in your house, and so you need to. No, but we know what team you're rooting for. I, I know what interior design you, you like, if it's mid-century, if it's traditional, because when I walk in your house, your aesthetics proclaim it. I know what brands you like, because it can be H&M, it can be Brooks Brothers, it can be uh, 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 whoever else you like, because you wear it. I can tell what, what, what food you like because of what restaurants you go to and how you talk about what you, what you enjoy, etc. You proclaim what you are oftentimes most devoted to. Does that mean that our proclamations within themselves are not good? No, because God has created so many good things. But what it is, is you ought to know what you proclaim, who you proclaim and how you proclaim it. Because, beloved, sometimes when we even think about, as Catherine Ann got up here and talked about the sanctity of life, sometimes we think about what we are proclaiming, which is good, but oftentimes how it affects people. So we still need to care for those that are marginalized and women that have been oppressed, whether raped, et cetera, in their circumstances, because we have to proclaim Jesus to them, the giver of life. And thus, beloved, it's important that what we proclaim becomes far more substantial because so many people have been hurt by some of our proclamations that have been uh, have been merged with some of our own personal ideologies. The church has adopted those at times. We are not perfect as a church. Therefore, every time we get an opportunity to confess our sins or to lament and grieve those things, we ought to do it to reflect and proclaim that we know a truth that's freed us from those debt. We don't have to hide the things that have happened in the past. We don't have to sit here and dismiss those things. All we need to do is say we don't have it together. Never did and one day we will see him but we never will without Jesus therefore we need to proclaim it and make sure that the person we're proclaiming is Christ alone not Christ and something else some agenda some worldview it is Christ and him alone and you, it's, it's difficult to do it at times because we become so ingratiated within culture, it's hard to walk in him. Our receiving of him and walking of him is a proclamation of him. 
This is what Paul oftentimes says in Ephesians, in Colossians, in Philippians. Uh, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? See, when I was growing up, I couldn't go out the house looking any old way. My mother said, you are representing me, son. So when you walk out of this house, make sure you got your hair combed. Make sure you've washed your face and you're behind. Make sure, <laughs> make sure you brush your teeth. Make sure you articulate yourself well because you're representing me. Make sure you go to school and you're not acting a fool because when I find out you got a problem with me. It was hard. It was hard. It was hard growing up. But that is the same way in which the gospel says, when you walk out, beloved, when we receive the benediction, when we take communion, we proclaim Christ and his death. That's the words of institution. When you drink of the cup, when you eat of the bread, you proclaim his death until he comes. And so then Paul says, be rooted in that, be built up in that, be established in that. And he uses the imagery, and that's why we have the Psalm uh, 1 reading, which is one of my favorite psalms. It, it's a beautiful picture of when you're rooted by something, you meditate it on day and night. He illustrates it, but then he gives you this imagery of being a tree planted by a stream of water, which helps you to produce fruit helps you to be productive in life. When we root ourselves in the word of God and plant it in the word of God, beloved, you know what happens? We become far more fruitful, not because of what we're doing, but because of what we're planted next to. If we root ourselves in the living water, that's what he says he is. We begin to blossom in the beauty of the gospel, flowers in truth, And the scent is pleasing to all of society, to all of the world, to our neighbors and friends. Catherine Ann just said, you are doing that by the way that you're serving your community. Cedar Springs is not known just to be a beautiful institution with some beautiful aesthetics and architecture. It's known to be a people that is able to use not only their words, but deeds to do the work and proclaim the work of our Lord Jesus Christ that's happening inwardly in each of us. So be rooted, beloved. Walk in that manner worthy. Continue to proclaim him because these Represent the very thing that you are grounded in, and your proclamations are that. And then, too, when you look at verses 8 through 10, and you know, I'm mad at Andrew because he gave me a whole lot and then said 20 minutes. <laughs> but my brother said, you, you, you got a couple extra minutes this morning. So I said, okay, thank you. Eight o'clock didn't give me that. Point two is empowers Christians to live under his authority. Christians are empowered to live under Christ's rule and reign. How should then we delight in the authority of Christ? How should then we delight in the authority of Christ? When we, every time we say the Lord's Prayer, you know what you ask for? The kingdom of our God to come. He's already inaugurated the kingdom and his coming on this earth. 
as king, Christ as king. You know, he has three offices, king, priest, and what else? Prophet. And being a king, oftentimes we have to realize that not only is his kingdom now, but it's in the future. That's why you've heard your pastors sometimes say it's the already but not yet. That means that his kingdom is here and he is ruling already. The fulfillment of his kingdom has been has yet to come. And so we wait and long for his kingdom to come, but we work diligently until he comes under his authority, under his rule and reign. That's why when Jesus says, render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's. Because Caesar has to answer to me. Every politician has to answer to me. Every other authority, every prime minister, every dignitary has to answer to me. Every single authority and ruler on earth has to answer to me. God does not necessarily have a policy that is going to work and satisfy all of what society wants. But he does have a kingdom and in his kingdom, all things are righteous and good which then we look forward to and we begin to implicate those good things and righteous things in our day-to-day lives. We're empowered to live under that authority. That means when you walk out and you go and stretch yourself, when you're at work and you let somebody know that you're doing what you can do, you're saying, I'm doing it not just because my boss saying it. There's a greater boss that's telling me to do what I need to do, and that's Jesus. And so I do it with that integrity. I don't do it under the watch of humanity. I do it under the watch of my great king a kingdom come that's why it's important to teach our children the lord's prayer and that's why it's important for us to continue to recite it in our liturgies and forms of worship because once the king comes he reveals that his primary devotion is driven to love us and thus we are then empowered to love him and we thrive under his rule and reign and paul says i want you to be warned in verse eight see to it see to it beware Look out. Hold on. Wait a minute. No one falls captive. Please don't be taken captive. Don't be bewildered by human tradition, philosophy, empty deceit, and elemental spirits. I don't have time to to explain and define each of those, but what he essentially is saying, don't fall slave. Don't be enslaved to those ways of life belief systems or ways of thinking that begins to be try, try to be interwoven with the gospel because it cannot mix it's oil and vinegar so then what he what he helps us to see is if then you are not captivated by those things what must one be captivated by the king jesus and we follow those teachings and he uses that because he says those forces that come against you, those are not forces. Uh, you always understand one of the principles is Ephesians helps us to see that, oh, Paul's not just talking about rulers in, in, in an earthly sense. He's also talking about principalities, cosmic forces, things that are unseen. And what does he say? This is not a battle with flesh and blood, but you have to gird yourself up with the armor of God in order to walk through life under the authority as a soldier in his army. Beloved, that's important for us to know because so many different things fight for our authority. Today, it's the authority to express how I feel, the way I feel it, 
This level of subjectivity, the authority that love is love. I didn't mention this in the first, but there's a book called Secular Creeds by Rebecca McLaughlin. If you sign up with the Gospel Coalition, you'll get a book for free. And she deals with a lot of the current, what she calls secular creeds today. But what, what is oftentimes revealed is those creeds be the very, are the very thing that we begin to proclaim that begins to have authority over our lives. And boomers, you're not free from this. I just left from the General Assembly, and Ed Stesser was one of our speakers, and he dealt with boomers and Gen Xers. He said Gen Xers are the forgotten ones. Uh, but he was saying how that authority, that look, what it looked like in that generation was to be very individual, individualistic, was to be very independent was to make way in different, to make strides in different ways in society. And so when we understand what we become, when we come under authority of, whether it's TikTok or whether it's social media, whether it's the news outlet, whether it, whatever form that authority shows itself, I, I'm telling you, it, it will show up in the way that you think, the way that you interpret your Bible. You will, the, whatever authority reigns over you besides Jesus will then become your interpretive lens of this instead of this being the way that you see the world. So we come under the authority of Scripture. Once again, Christ alone and then Scripture alone are the very things that are core to our doctrine of understanding how we ought to live as Christians. So we don't need to ignore his kingship, but we ought to have a deeper understanding of God's presence and what it means in our life because sometimes we can feel as if it's meaningless when we don't feel it or when, we don't, when, we, when it's not seen, but you can't control everything. He's the one operating and controlling. I know sometimes you struggle in life by trying to provide how much you can do. But this morning, I want you to hear the gospel. You don't have to do it. He's already done it. And that's why our last point is he empowers Christians to live in victory. Verses 1 through 11 essentially is the gospel. If you break it down, you, we, we can show the tenets of our faith in terms of baptism, etc. But the idea of circumcision, when you look at what he is saying, he says in verse 11, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. So then union with Christ, in which you were also raised with him. Again, union with Christ in faith, the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were... Uh, and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Circumcision and uncircumcision. Circumcision pointed to living as a Jew, as an Israelite. You remember the covenant with, that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, that that was, in, that was a way you were identified as a covenant child, as a covenant, of, uh, as a covenant person of, the, of Yahweh. And then you get to the New Testament, uh, you, when you're not circumcising all of outside of Israel as a nation, then you're seen as not being of God. But what the new covenant does by the blood and the body of Jesus Christ, it breaks all of that down. And it says that God has made peace through his breaking of his body and through his blood that all may have salvation through him as long as they accept and profess him as their Lord. 
But there are some that are teaching if you're uncircumcised, you still need to go through that mutilation in order to see that you can be one that is accepted in the sight of God. And Paul is playing off of that, saying, listen, I know some people are telling you that, but that's not what you need to do. I've already told you what you ought to do and how you ought to live. And understand this, Jesus in his victory is the very one that is telling and communicating to you that you don't need to do something else to harm yourself or you don't need to do something else to prove yourself in whatever fashion. And that has implications for where we are today to show that the work of Christ has victory in your life. His victory is done because what Paul is doing, this, using this elaborate and vivid description, all it does is describes the cross. Beloved, the, uni, the union with Christ says that we're raised with him. And beloved, to understand that, the, that's the circumcision of the heart. See, my testimony when I was becoming a Christian, I didn't grow up in church. And so my mother wanted to randomly start going to church one day. And, and randomly wanting to start going to church, uh, it was on Wednesday night Bible studies. And so we would go to Wednesday night Bible studies, and I would fall asleep. My sister would fall asleep. I just, like, remember putting Lay's chips in the Ziploc bag, putting it in my coat, eating, and then going to sleep. <laughs> and then she, you know, the Lord was doing something in her life, and so she was like, we're going to start going to Sunday morning worship. And I was like, you know, <laughs> I work at Schnooks on Sundays and uh, I come home after working at Schnooks, pushing cars, bagging groceries. And I just want to relax and watch football, enjoy myself. I don't want to go to church. Uh, and uh, my mother had a, a, a evangelism that I, I don't permit parents to use. It's called life or death. <laughs> Either you're going or you're dying. So y'all see, I'm still alive today. So I went to church, and then after going on Sundays, what happened was there was one Resurrection Sunday, one Easter Sunday. The preacher was preaching. He was sweating, and it had to be the gospel because I would sit in the back uninterested, falling asleep all the time. But then I would found myself weeping right there on the back hand, left hand of the pew, weeping, crying. God must have pricked my heart. And I find myself walking down to the altar. No, there wasn't any lambs being slaughtered or burnt ashes. It was just, we called it the altar. But I was being prayed for. And then being prayed for, I, I was then baptized. And I didn't know what it meant to live out walking as a Christian. And so I just kept living like I was living. But then my mother said, I want you to go to a youth retreat. I said, I don't want to go to a youth retreat. She said, I want you to go to the youth retreat. I said, I'm going to the youth retreat. <laughs> It was right before tour days for football camp, and I went with a lot of people that went to my high school. And when I went to that camp, I tell, I'm telling you, I, I just start praying because everybody else was praying. I just start reading my Bible because everybody else was reading their Bible. But God did something on that Sunday morning in Lake Williamson, Illinois, at that retreat. When they asked, did anybody want to walk with Jesus? I found myself once again being moved uh, to walk up there. It wasn't on my own will. It was as if God was moving my feet when I think about that time because I can't say that intellectually I was deeply involved, engaged as to what it really meant, but I knew that there was something happening in the circumcision, the working of my heart that God did was, was an outward expression of my body moving forward and then me being changed from that time, repenting of my sins, doing a full one. 
180 and walking in a new direction and what we would call a newness of life. It was evident, beloved, because then I proclaimed it when I got to tour days and I told my teammates, I'm not the same Michael Davis that you knew just a couple weeks ago. God did something in me. I've been chosen and changed and, and, and they couldn't understand why I was living differently, why I wanted to pray after school, why I wanted all my teammates to begin to pray, why I wanted to tell them about the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ and the change that can happen in their life. It is because what was happening inside of me. And the end, verse 15, is important because he says he disarmed the rulers and the authorities, pointing back to verse 10. And then he says, and put them on uh, them to, sh- to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The crucifixion was the most same, shameful of deaths that could have happened in ancient Christianity, in ancient Greco-Roman time. And Jesus took the crucifixion. But in taking the crucifixion, do you realize that when he said that he died, all things died, and he took the power from death, and he had all power. Therefore, what does that mean, beloved? He put all things to shame by his death, by doing the most shameful thing that humanity can do. What does that mean? It does not matter what you have. It does not matter what you're holding on to. It does not matter what your receipt looks like. It does not matter what pain... That you have. We need to hear the gospel today because what we understand, beloved, it, all that matters is that he has taken all shame. He has taken all guilt. He's taken every single thing upon himself, nailing it to the cross so that you can live free from all guilt and shame. It is the hymn writer who says, there is a fountain that I see filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. The sinner, the sinner's plunge beneath that blood. It loses all is guilty saying. And Andrew Couch kind of takes it a little bit further where he says the blood of, that is Jesus shed at the way of Calvary, way back at Calvary, that blood that gives you strength, gives me strength, gives you strength from day to day. You know what? It never loses its power. It reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. That blood, it gives you strength and it empowers you to live victoriously. It empowers you to live grounded in your proclamation. And it empowers you to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ and him alone. God, I thank you. Because this table is a table that reminds us of that. And I pray that we take communion today, recognizing that we're making a unified proclamation of the work that you're doing in our life. Let that be an outward expression. And if somebody is struggling, Lord, I pray that they find somebody this morning to cry to, to find comfort in, because you are a God that loves us so deeply that you gave your only, you gave your only life, your life. Father, you gave your only son his life so that we may live for eternal life. So in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people say together.